You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. Good to see you. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38, we're talking about anxiety, talking about worry. And I know that none of you in this room do that, so uh, what I'd like for you to do is listen closely so you can tell somebody who has that problem, okay, because I know you don't. And uh, the reality is, is that we all face anxiety. We all at times find ourselves getting anxious. In fact, a definition, anxiety is a feeling, listen to this, of worry, of nervousness, being uneasy. It's typically during or because of an imminent event or something that we believe has an uncertain future. And so it's part of our life. We, we deal with worry. So in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38, we're going to look at an individual today who had a problem with worry. Now, uh, we're going to introduce ourselves to Martha once again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village, and that village we'll learn is Bethany, and that's in John chapter 11. He came to a village, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you all the glory and honor. You alone are worthy to be worshipped. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, last week we talked about these two individuals, their sisters, uh, Martha and Mary. Martha's the older. Her name in uh, Aramaic means mistress. Uh, she's probably a widow. She, is, uh, she runs the home. She's the hostess. She may have been a little bit authoritative, uh, may have been a strong personality, uh, may have been the kind of person that was a no-nonsense. Mary is the younger. Mary is her younger sister. And they, have, they both have a brother by the name of what? Lazarus. And remember in John chapter 11, God, Jesus Christ, will raise Lazarus. Now, they had invited... Martha had invited Jesus into her home for a meal and for fellowship. And this would initiate an unbelievable fellowship and a friendship. Everybody listen closely. Look this way. Lazarus, in many ways, would be considered their brother to be the closest friend to Jesus, even some theologians believe closer than John the Beloved. And when this is six months prior to Calvary, prior to the cross, 
Jesus in John 11, when he resurrects Lazarus, is when that initiates the plan to put not only Jesus to death, but also to put Lazarus to death as well. This family is extremely close and dear to Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, we all need, we all battle with anxiety, right? We all battle with worry. It's, it's going to creep into your life. In fact, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In other words, what Timothy, what happened to Timothy can happen to you and I. We can be so anxious and so worried that it's almost like an evil spirit that wraps itself around us and begins to consume all of our thoughts. Man, all we can do is what if. So it's a battle that we all face. And undoubtedly, it was a battle that Martha had. Now, the second slide there, I, I, I told you this. It's a picture of uh, Nick Saban and, and Tua, I can't pronounce his last name, but uh, this is a Heisman Trophy quarterback for Alabama. Nick Saban will go down as probably Bill Belichick said, the greatest coach of all time. And I believe that. But I've noticed something about Nick Saban. Nick Saban, who believes that the quarterback is the most critical position on a football team. It rises and falls on the quarterback. He always gets these guys that tend to be men of God, men of faith, and have kind of a low-key kind of personality about them. They have kind of a Brian Fioretti kind of personality. And, and, and I told you this, now I want you to listen. If you battle with anxiety, with depression, with worry, you and I need to find people that are therapeutic to us. They calm us down. You can call them. You can go visit them. You can, you can do whatever. But when you bring these people into your life, they are, they are therapeutic. They calm you down. They tend to settle your nerves. I believe that Bryce Young does that in the life of Nick Saban. Now listen, everybody listen. You need therapeutic people and you need therapeutic places that you can go to. Let me give you one. Jeffrey and Megan, they have about a three-acre uh, small lake out there that's, that's stocked with, uh, with brim and with uh, bass. And they've got a great place for you to get away. So if you'll see Megan after the service, Megan will fix some of her famous blueberry scones and you can relax and unwind. Now, I'm joking, but the reality is you need to know that place where you can go. Now, everybody listen. My favorite place of all is a chair with my Bible, a cup of coffee, about 5.30 in the morning. You need to know where you can go and unwind, be rejuvenated. So you need those kind of people in your life. They're, they're therapeutic. They help you. They calm you down. They, they put you at ease. Now, the next slide, we talked about this. And, and, and this is my dog. dog. This is my dog. His name is Coach. And we said this, when you look at Jesus and he's talking to Martha, he says to Martha, he says, Martha, listen to this, you are anxious 
worried about what? Many things when only one thing is needed. Anybody that's older, you may remember. You remember the, the toy Stretch Armstrong? Is that toy even around anymore? Stretch Armstrong? Do you remember it had this commercial back years ago, Stretch Armstrong, where one kid grabs one arm, one kid grabs another arm, one kid grabs one leg, one kid grabs the other leg, and they pull in four opposing directions, and they're stretching that toy out, Stretch Armstrong. Now, everybody listen. That's how Jesus described anxiety and worry. You and I feel that we're being pulled in multiple directions. Uh, we're, we're becoming distracted. We're worried and we get anxious because a lot of things get on our mind. And I told you last week that John MacArthur said that this is a matter of priorities. In other words, listen, anxiety is our attention being diverted from Jesus Christ. This series is called Fixing Your Eyes on Jesus. You know what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants to bring worry, anxiety, fears, phobias, that Greek word, phobias into your life. What if kind of thinking, where all of a sudden you're thinking, what if this happens? What if that happens? This pain, my headache, this, this pain in my chest, all of a sudden, listen, you begin to think so much about all of those phobias, those fears, those worries, those anxieties, that before long you get your eyes off of Jesus. And that's what the enemy wants to do. We get anxious. I wrote this down. We get anxious because our attention, listen to this, is on our problem rather than on Jesus Christ. Going back to that idea of, of devotion. You know what my devotional life is to me? It is this. It is just like a parent, you've seen me do this, with a toddler this would be like Benjamin. Benjamin being very active, or let's say Charlie. Charlie would be much better, right? Um, but let's say a, a, a child like Charlie, or let's say Aaron, or let's say a child that's very busy. They're, they're very distracted. And, 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 and Emily, you're trying to get David to calm down. And what you do, you get down on David's level. Emily, you look him in the eye. Sometimes you'll hold his face. And eventually you calm him down in order to tell him the information you're trying to get him to hear. Your devotional life, your prayer life, your time in the Word of God, Davion, is Jesus Christ taking your face and taking it off all of those problems that are distracting you and saying, I am sovereign, I am in control, you can trust me. Now calm down. About a week ago or whenever it was, and all you young parents will learn this one day, um, all of a sudden Sheila was just hysterical. She comes running in there just, and I'm going, what is it, what is it, what is it? And she says, Some, nobody picked up the girls. Well, Emily, uh, it, it was uh, 
Emma Grace and Sophie were at school and a little miscommunication. We had another emergency come up and, and, it, and, they, were, and the, it was, they were a little bit late and Sheila got me all upset and then she's running out the door. She's got to go rescue the girls from the, from the school that is not about to put them out. They're gonna, I've never seen teachers say, well, kid, you're on your own. We're, we're closing up the school, you know. So Sheila's running out, and then finally, you know what I said? I shouted at her. Carrie, I shouted at her. I said, calm down. Calm down. Or you're going to wreck the car. Now calm down. They're all right. You know what Jesus Christ does in your life and in my life sometimes? He all but shouts, calm down. You know why? Because he's sovereign and he's always in control. When he isn't that true. He's always in control. So the, the reality is, is that what Jesus seems to imply here, let me read it again. He says in verse 41, Martha, Martha, term of endearment. He's very kind, very compassionate, very understanding. He doesn't scold her. It's kind of like, look at this, it's kind of like Martha. I think he said it like that. Therese, I think he kind of laughs at Martha, Martha. <laughs> he just kind of shook his head and laughs at Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried, you're anxious, and upset about what? About many things, but only one thing is needed. You know what the thing, the problem is, and go to that next slide, a lot of our anxiety is due to what? Poor choices. We just make poor choices. Some of your anxiety and some of my anxiety is not because of uncontrollable factors. You see, sometimes we look and say, well, you know, life just keeps throwing this at me. The reason I'm anxious and the reason I'm, reason I'm worried is so many bad things happen to me. No, that's not true at all. After, with an earned doctorate from RTS and a lot of time counseling, I can tell you most people's worry and anxiety is they got their plate too full with stuff they should have never put on it to begin with. The reality is that your life is not uncontrollable factors. Some of the things that are bringing you anxiety and worry into your life are choices that you've made, and some of them are not good choices. As Sheila, who taught, taught three-year-olds for about 12 years, she would say to a little three-year-old, you made a bad choice. Now we have to live with the consequences, don't we? You see, sometimes that's life. Sometimes we tell, a, we tell our kids, set the table, cut the grass, clean your room. And I wrote down here, you get all bent out of shape because it's not done a certain way, right? And let me, let me explain a certain way, your way, right? Anxiety comes because, a principle here, anxiety comes because of self-imposed standards that are not necessary. Sometimes we're making ourselves do things a certain way. It's got to be done that way, and when it's not done that way, we get anxious. I am not one to delegate nothing. I don't think, I don't think none of my kids like cutting grass. Jeffrey, I think, has a phobia of it. Oh, Megan's back there smiling and nodding her head. Now, let me tell you why. Because when I told my kids to cut the grass, I wanted the grass cut a certain way. And if it wasn't cut a certain way, then I got anxious about it. 
see, that's a tool of the enemy. That's Satan. And he uses that tool. In fact, I wrote this down. This is a tool of the enemy, this idea of wanting to measure up. You want to measure up? What do you want to measure up to? You ever, you ever pray and the enemy's going, why are you praying? You ever read your Bible and the enemy says, why are you, why are you reading your Bible? You live in disobedience, willful disobedience. You're such a bad person. You're never going to get control of that sin that does so easily beset you. You're such a dirty, filthy person. I, don't even, I wouldn't even bother to pray. I wouldn't even bother to do devotion. You ever hear the enemy saying that stuff? You're not good enough? Well, what is good enough? You see, let me tell you what the enemy does in your life and in my life. We get saved by the grace and the mercy and the unfailing love of God. We have no problem accepting that. You know where our problem comes? The enemy gets in our head, and what we receive by grace, we start trying to live out by the letter of the law. And you know what the law does? The law is a school teacher that keeps driving us there and telling us you'll never be good enough, never be worthy. I don't listen. I don't, I don't seek to obey the law in order to earn my salvation. Obedience to the law is my love for Jesus Christ. I just want to, I just want to make him proud of me. And, I, and, my, and listen, the indwelling Holy Spirit, when I sin, it grieves. This is why Paul in Galatians 3 1, he said, I, he said You're bewitched. He never uses the term again. He says to the Galatians, he said, you're bewitched. He said, you started by the power of the Holy Spirit. You started in grace and mercy and unfailing love of God. And now all of a sudden you're walking by the law. And let me tell you what the law will do. The law, if you try to listen to Satan in your head, will bring an enormous amount of anxiety and worry. And let me tell you what he's going after. Everybody listen. Say amen if you're listening. Let me, tell you what he, let me tell you what the enemy's going after. Number one, he wants to steal your, you want to guess? Joy, fruit of the Holy Spirit. If he can steal your joy, he shuts your testimony and witness down. He can't steal your salvation. In Psalm 51, remember what David said? After he sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then murdered Uriah. You remember what David said after Nathan the prophet confronted him? He didn't say, God, restore my salvation. He said, God, restore the joy of my salvation because I can't sing anymore. That's what he said. So, you see, that's what the enemy goes after. Joy is lost. Anxiety sets in. We get ir irritated. We become frustrated. We're angry. And let me tell you, if you're an authority figure, there's a great danger here because in Ephesians 6.4, Paul said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians 3.21 says, Do not embitter your children. You know what authority figures can do? It's my way or the highway. They begin to become this unmovable force in the life of your own children. You begin to ask them to live a life they can't live. I wrote this down. How does an authority figure embitter, provoke, discourage? They do it by unreasonable expectations. You never measure up. Never good enough. You know what the great joy of it is? Let me tell you the number one response I get on Facebook. If I put this up, we could test it. I could do it right now and prove it. 
I put this up. I say after after 40 plus years of ministry, after giving up my health, all the things, serving on the mission field, army chaplain, inner city, just sum it all up. I said all all the stuff that I've done for the for the cause of Christ. All of it put together doesn't give me a rat's hair chance of getting into heaven. The only way I'm going to heaven is the one who died right there on that cross. Do you know know the quickest way to silence the enemy? Tell him that. I'm never going to measure up. You see, anxiety, now let's move on because Jesus said here, he said, you're worried and upset about many things and only one thing is needed. You know what Mary's problem was? Mary's problem and the reason a lot of us are anxious is because Mary was extravagant. She goes to extravagance. She goes overboard. I wrote this down. To go overboard, again, Mary was, I mean, Martha was attempting to do more than was required. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus said to Martha, he said, Martha, you're worried, anxious. You're troubled about many things when only one thing was needed. Just bring the little Debbies and some canned Cokes and come sit down and let's fellowship. The reality is, and I don't know where that slide came from, but I'm, I'm not there, so that's an ugly slide, and you can just take that off, John. I've got a slide here where I did a little artwork. It's called Our Need for Recognition, Value, and Worth. If it's even possible to put it up, I don't know if it's up there. But let me, let me, let me share something. I want you to listen. Why do we sometimes put too much on our plate? Why do we become extravagant? Why do we go overboard? Why do we want our yard to look better than everybody else's yard? Our home better than everybody else's yard? Why do we want our car to sparkle and to be cleaner and nicer than everybody else's vehicle? What is the advertising industry constantly banking on? Our covetous spirit that is also filled with this prideful feeling of we are sometimes anxious and worried because we're extravagant, because we go overboard, because we like to be recognized. It gives us self-worth, gives us value, gives us, give us a significance. It makes us feel good about ourselves. You see, this wasn't about a meal. Martha wanted Jesus to look at her and say, Wow, what a spread! Woo! Get it here, disciples! Man, I have never tasted a pecan pie like this one. Woo! Hallelujah! The rapture is going to take place right now. I mean, man, Martha was going to extravagance more than anything. She just wanted to feel valued, to feel worth. Right? Parent, if you don't hear anything else, listen now. If that's how your child feels, then you are in trouble. Children sometimes need to be loved based not on performance, how well they play a sport, how good their grades are, how obedient they are in cleaning their room and cutting the grass or whatever. They need to be loved for who they are in Christ. Because that's how God looks at you. 
You see, Martha, it was about self-worth, value, significance. She wanted to feel good about herself. I wrote this question down, is it for God's glory or mine? Is it for God being lifted up and glorified or me being lifted up and glorified? You see, that's the problem here. You know what the problem here is? The problem here is, is that I can become dependent upon your approval, your acceptance, your affirmation. You're telling me that. You're, you're giving me a battle And if I'm not careful, I become so called up in that, I no longer hear him. You see, there's been times I've walked out of here many, 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 many times that not a word is said affirming. Nothing. And the only affirmation that I had was I knew that I'd preached the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit was saying, that a boy. You see, the problem is that sometimes it's for our glory. And that's why we get our plate full. Because we like the recognition. We like for people. That's why we run our kids ragged, taking them to every function so that everybody is talking about not only how good we are, but how good our kids are. And see, some of us never got to be a football jock, never got to be a baseball jock, never got to be the jock at the school, but God knows hell and high water, we're going to make sure Junior is. Some of us were not the cheerleader, but we're going to make sure she is. And we put undue expectation, we bring stress and anxiety into their life, into the family, into the home, and into our own lives because we want to be glorified. And God will not share it with nobody. And you know, there's another problem here, isn't it? We, we, and I wrote this down, we resent others who do not jump on our bandwagon, take up our cause, take up our endeavor, take up our project, uh, that don't share in our anxiety, right? Let me ask you something. Martha comes in there and she's upset. Hey, listen, she has the sovereign of the universe, God in flesh, sitting in her house. And she's worried about the casserole, the bread burning. She comes in there, she is angry and frustrated with Jesus and he, she's angry and upset with Mary. And the, and the Greek language para means that she was literally, as we said it last week, as close as she could get to his feet. Remember, this is a day when rabbis didn't care if women learned anything. Women, a, a, a Jew said, God, he prayed, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Women could were not hey women were not even to be taught, but if they were taught, they sat at the back of the class. Mary's sitting there at his feet, next to his feet. The, the Greek language is the picture of her, of her right there next to his feet. Martha comes in and she's upset because Mary has the audacity to be sitting there when the reality is there is a lot of stuff to be done. Where does that come from? I put a slide up there. John, I don't know if it, anxiety can be inherited. You know, the reality is anxiety can be inherited. It can be a family dynamic. Maybe Martha was raised that way. 
You know, some of your anxiety, some of your worry may not only be the expectations that you put on yourself, it may be that you come from people who did that to you. You never measured up. You never was smart enough, never good-looking enough. You never was good at sports. You just was an average kid, and you never measured up. And the reality is, is maybe some of that comes from how you were raised. Martha's anxiety, I wrote it down, a quote, Martha's anxiety may have come from an endless attempt to measure up to expectations that were impossible for her to meet and worse, were impossible to expect out of others. And I wrote this down, parent. You pass on to your kids those stresses, anxieties, and worries, that sense of acceptance, expectation, you pass that on to your children when you yourself couldn't even achieve it as well. Martha's angry at Mary, and Martha is angry at Jesus. And there's a principle here. When we get anxious, when we get, air, when we get anxious, worried, and stressed, everybody look this way, you and I get rude. We lose our Christian witness. We get stressed, we get worried, and you put us under that long enough, and all of a sudden we're rude. We are a rude person. We, are start, we start destroying our testimony and our witness because that's what the enemy wants. When we get anxious, we forget the past. What did Martha call Jesus? What did she call him? She called him Jesus? She called him Lord, Adonai. She called him Lord, Master, Adonai, Messiah. You know what she was saying? She already knew of his miracles. He had fed thousands. He had raised the dead. He had given sight to the blind. Lame walk. She has the creator of the universe in flesh sitting in her, in her house, sitting in her living room. But she forgot who he was. Now everybody listen. Your anxiety, your worry, and your fretting, let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from you and I forgetting who He is. We forget. We forget that He's a miracle-working God. We forget about His provisions. We forget about all the times that He's provided and taken care of us. And if we're not careful, we forget to the degree that we allow our stress, our worry, and our anxiety to so overwhelm us that it starts destroying our, destroying our testimony. I've got to end in a moment. I want to go to the next slide. Now, we'll close here. I don't have time. Uh, you got my shoes up there? Can you, can you put those shoes up there? There you go. You may say, well, wait a minute. How do I fix that? And what in the world does those ugly shoes have to do with it? Sheila asked me to go shopping with her, so I'm over there in Ross looking around in the shoe department. I come across these shoes. And so I sent this text to my oldest daughter, Amy, who's married to Matt. And I sent this text, and I asked Amy, I said, Amy, what size shoes does, Max, does Matt wear? 
And Amy sent back this laughing little picture with tears coming out of the eyes because she could just imagine my big son-in-law in those yellow shoes. The reality is, is that what happens when stress and anxiety comes in your life and in my life, we begin to lose our sense of humor. We don't laugh anymore. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A nervous laugh is better than no laugh at all. Do you know that there was a man who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer? He was dying. And you know what he did? He, he, he cut off all medical, cut off everything. And, he, and they said that he started reading funny books. He started watching old-time funny movies, just good, clean movies, just slapstick comedy and everything else. Listen, everybody listen. And he started laughing. And he started laughing. And do you know what? Listen to this. Do you know what laughter does to your body, proven medically? Laughter stimulates your immune system. In other words, it, it hotwires your immune system. And do you know what happened to this man? Proven, read this study. He was cured of cancer because he laughed. Anxiety, worry, fretting, getting your eyes off of Jesus Christ. The reality is, and that next slide says it, find your sense of humor. What happened to my laugh? Where did it go? I've lost it. And I put down there, you lost your childlikeness. You take yourself too seriously. And before long, the reality is, is you quit trusting. You quit, you quit enjoying life. You see, that's, that's the enemy. Listen, what did Jesus say? He said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you what? Abundantly. He wants you to have an abundant life. You see, this ability to do this right here, to smile, to have a joy in your heart, to feel that God's sovereign. I don't know how he's going to work this out, but somehow he is. He's always worked out everything in my past, everything I've worried about in my past. It always seems to work out. No, it doesn't always seem to work out because life just kind of flippantly does something. It's because a sovereign God is right watching over your life and in my life and he's saying all things, all things, all things work together for good to those that love me and are called according to my purpose. You know what God says? Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all handled by sovereign God for his glory and his honor. And oh, does Martha wish she would have not Miss that opportunity. I close with this and then I'll pray. I was telling the men's class, you know, I love football. If I could have been anything, I would have loved to have been a college football coach. I love football. I love watching it. I'm reading a book right now on the leadership uh, principles of, of Nick Saban. I just love football. I love that college environment, that energy. It's exciting. And at and, 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 and my house, we watch football. And so last night, 
Legend, Alicia came in, Ethan, Caleb, and Titus were sitting there. They're staying with us while they're trying to get their house ready to move into. And, and, and so Ethan is a walking statistic genius. He just, he just comes off of him. He could be an ESPN uh, sportscaster. He's just unbelievable. Ethan, where did this kid go? Where did that guy come from? What college did he go to? Tell me a little bit. Man, Ethan, just, just, just spelling it out there. Well, in the middle of Ohio State in one of the big games, in the middle of that, I clicked the control to Bill Gaither, the Gaither music. Now, anybody knows Gaither? That's the old-timey hymn singing, gospel, some contemporary. And I just watched Ethan. Now, Caleb and Titus, they were jumping up and down because I said, hey, guys, let's clap some of these songs. So they're jumping up and down, clapping, having a big old high time. And because Caleb and Titus had watched Florida get beat, they were, they're clapping like this. But Ethan, Ethan's just sitting there. And I'm watching him. He claps a little bit. And then they bring this guy, he's in a wheelchair. And he's a very prominent singer in the Gaither family type gathering his hands are curled up and he's crippled and he's in a and he's in a wheelchair and he begins to sing if i remember where could i go but to the lord and all of a sudden i thought to myself and ethan because you're here i'm gonna say it now i felt in that moment that i wanted to say to ethan ethan there's going to be times in your life whether it's in dating, whether it's marriage, whether it's your schooling, whether it's academics, whether it's job, whatever it may be, there's health, finances, whatever it may be, there's going to be times when the only thing that you can do is sing those words, where can I go but to the Lord? Where can I go but to the Lord? Seeking a refuge for my soul, needing a friend to keep me to the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Fixing your eyes on Jesus will calm your anxious heart. Let's stand. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we thank you that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, now that you wrap your arms around us, that the fear, the anxiety, the what-if thinking, this, uh, this sometimes wanting to prove our worth and our value, sometimes, dear Lord, making our plates too full, putting too much demands on ourselves, on our families, on our children. Lord, may you help us to just find that quiet place, get along with Jesus and allow Jesus to begin to take our face and our heart into his hands and for him to quiet us down and for him to say all things. I think if those nail-pierced hands could put their... If He could place His hands on either side of our face in the midst of our anxiety, our worry, our fretting, our fears, and simply whisper to us, I think He would whisper those words, all things work together for my good. Trust me. Trust me. Rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I'm humble of heart. Trust me. I've got this.
going to be all right. It'll work out for your good. You trust me. So, Lord, I pray today that everyone in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice, no matter what they may be facing, may they realize that right now when Jesus Christ is the sovereign Savior of their life, that, Lord, they can believe that and rest in that. And, Lord, I pray if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who says, you know, Brother Jeff, I, I don't know that then, Lord, may they realize that God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus went on to say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, God did not send me into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And yes, he goes on to say in verse 18 that for those that do not believe, they stand in judgment already and condemnation. But Lord, may people realize today that you love them and that if they'll simply repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in you, that they can begin a journey that will begin to bring a peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. Now, everybody look this way before we say amen. When He gives you that, people will look at you in your circumstances and they'll say, aren't you worried? You ever heard people do that? Aren't, aren't you worried? You're not worried? You're not anxious? You seem to be mighty calm. Why? Because my daddy... My heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Abba, Father. You know what he was saying? Daddy. My daddy can take care of his kid. I don't have to worry. He's got this. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is a good day to give your life to Christ. You come. You come.